It's one of our rare all-church Sundays, so we have the privilege of our younger generation in the service, including in the worship band. I saw some of the high school students in the youth band, and, and thank you. Thank you for being here. This is always a moment we... And while the children are in the service, now I am given probably the most profound and complex verses in the whole of New Testament. Uh, and I hope, and I hope that I can make this very short and hopefully sweet. Uh, let's see, no promise. Um, let, since, since we have children here, um, you know, I know they are going to wander off in the next five minutes or so. Um, so... Um, let me, let me try to do something interactive, okay? Um, I'm going to show you a picture, the first slide. So, what do you see? This is no trick question, okay? What do you see on the screen? How many? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm listening for some kid's voice, okay? <laughs> No, what, what, no, no, what, what do you see? No, no, I don't want you to think about it. What do, what do you see? Letters, right? Letters. I don't know, some of you are smart already. You know, you have the punchline already, I know. What we see are letters, okay? Now, when you go to the next slide, yes, right? Now, what do you see? Oh, we see a word, right? Are they letters? Well, the letters are still there. The letters are still there, but the letters came together to form a word. Now, what is the difference between letters and word? Yeah, the letters are kind of what we saw was a scattered mess of letters, right? The letters in of itself have no meaning. Right? I can give you some letters. The letters don't have meaning. But a word, as opposed to letters, have meaning. Right? What we did together right now is that we took a jumbled mess of alphabets or letters and gave it meaning. And we created a word out of, a meaningful word out of the meaningless letters. Right? Now, this word meaning in the Greek language when the Bible was written, the original context of the Bible, is called logos. Logos. Logos is the Greek word. And why I'm speaking Greek? Because what we just read right now, John chapter 1, 1, the original translation is in the beginning was Logos. Logos was with God, and Logos was God. That's what is written in the original language. But then we had this pressure to translate Greek word into English, and we cannot find the exact word that represents in, in our language so we translated it as word, because word is one way to, to convey the same idea of meaning, right? Every human being 
our first encounter with meaning comes through word. You know, when a child is born, all children start by speaking gibberish, right? Like, you know, ka, ki, ku, ku, you know, whatever noise the kids make. And one day, you hear a voice saying, mama, mama, or dada, or no, whatever, right? And then, <laughs> normally, that's the first word of most of the kids, you know? And then we say, oh my goodness, that's the, oh, did we get that in camera? Did we get that? Our child spoke that first time that little child take these letters or these noises and put it into a word that is the first encounter of every human being with meaning. With meaning. That is why we celebrate meaning-making process. So, in John, John chapter 1, 1 is actually, can be actually translated as, in the beginning was the meaning. The meaning was with God. And the meaning was God. And that meaning became a person. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas Day and this Advent season. See, when we study psychology, the school of psychology look at human beings as organic processes in a way to have a framework or the worldview in which we look at everything. For example, you know, in the school of psychology, there are three main schools. They call it one is Sigmund Freud, and most of you know Freudian uh, psychotherapy and everything he developed. And the way Freud looked at the world is that he said every human being is obsessed with what he called will to pleasure, will to pleasure, which means that we all seek pleasure. We are all living to basically to, uh, I, I, can't, I can't say, uh, speak a lot of it because I, especially with children. And he said a primary motivation of whatever we do is something called SEX, okay? And we all seek pleasure in, in a way, not only from a physical sensation, but also from our way to accumulate things is a will to pleasure. And then... Another psychologist, Alfred Adler, came along and he said, no, it's not just about pleasure. Even if we have all this pleasure we gain, unless and until we have power, we can control things, we will never be satisfied. So that's what Adler's school of psychology said, we all have will to power. But then came a man named Viktor Frankl. Now, if you want to read a book other than the Bible, I will strongly recommend a very small book written by Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a psychologist. He was a teacher, and he was in German concentration camp, Auschwitz, actually. All his family died in the camp, his wife, his parents, they all died in the Holocaust. And in the middle of this suffering, the, the, the suffering we cannot even picture, he was working on, the manuscript, on his manuscript. 
And he found in the concentration camp a group of people going from one place to another, a group of prisoners. And they're going from one place to another place and trying to tend to other prisoners who are suffering. They themselves are suffering, and they were trying to give away their little bread they rationed to other people. And he wondered, why are they doing it? in the middle of all this. And he came up with the theory that human beings, ultimately, it is not the will to pleasure or power, but ultimately, we all want to make sense of our life and to find meaning in our life. And quite often, that meaning comes through relationship. And in his word, he said, the only way to find meaning in our life, he said, is transcendence. I know it's a little too big word for you. Transcendence, there is a way to transcend our existential pain. And he said, one way to transcend our suffering is by love, by love. By loving someone, you transcend your existential crisis in a way, right? And another way is to do work. Anyway, what he essentially said was he basically was borrowing this philosophy from another, uh, another philosopher called Frederick Nietzsche, some of you know. He said, uh, if, you have, if, you know, if you have a why to live, then you will always find a how to live. The main question is, do you know why? Do you know why you live? And then you will be able to find a, a, a how. To live. And, and this is what he said. In the end of it, Frankel used a, as an idea, and he said, if we are trying to find meaning in every aspect of our life, that automatically implies that we are not some accidents, right? If we are accidentally evolved out of something, then there is no accidents have no meaning. That's why we call them accidents. And we are created beings, and we are looking forward to something that is bigger than us. There is something he called a super meaning out there. And I'm saying all this because I, the interesting thing is that Viktor Frankl was not a believer. And he was a Jewish person, and he never proclaimed his faith in God in a public way. But even in the middle of it, he was struggling with the idea of meaning in the universe. And he said, there is something out there that we don't understand. And he said that he called it a deeper meaning or a super meaning. And unless and until we connect to the super meaning, our lives will not have any meaning. And he said a story, and that probably my concluding, and I don't want to take too much of the time today. So he said the story, I'm going to paraphrase this, paraphrase this. So there's this scientist had a monkey, okay, a pet monkey. And scientist and, and the monkey, they lived together and they liked each other. <laughs> and the scientist took care of the monkey very well, fed them, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but every morning, the scientist will take a needle and draw some blood out of the monkey. And the monkey tried to figure this out. Why is the scientist trying to do this to me? Every single morning, there is this needle prick. Why is he hurting me? Why is he causing me pain? Because I know the scientist loves me. I know the scientist takes care of me. 
but I don't know why he is doing this. And there is, there is no meaning to this. And, and I know that he is not that kind of a torturous person. But then, Victor Frankl poses this question to us. Will the monkey ever know the fact that this scientist is actually taking this blood out of him so that he is developing a serum for polio vaccine? Right? This little needle prick the monkey is suffering every day or every week frequently is being used to create meaning in a completely different dimension that the monkey can never understand. There is no way for monkey to know that this pain he is going through has a meaning in another dimension unless and until the monkey enters into that dimension, which is not possible at all. And then he said, what makes us think that we as human beings are living in the ultimate dimension? What if there is another dimension that we don't know of? What if we are the monkeys in the story? What makes us think that we got it all together? And there is this sense of, of mystery and that we are all trying to grasp what is the meaning. And yesterday, I was talking to a family and their 20-year-old son suddenly passed away and, and I, I was trying to find words and there are no words to console that family in a way. How do, you, how do you attribute meaning to something like that? How do you find, how do you find the hidden uh, something God is doing out there? We don't know. I can never say there are no vocabulary invented to con console a family like that or for any of us going through any of our grief. But Viktor Frankl's story always comes to help me. What if there is another dimension in which this pain we go through, this ultimate meaningless, so to speak, we go through has a meaning. As long as we trust the scientist, our relationship with the scientist. This is all secular philosophy I'm talking about because the word logos has such a deeper meaning. The whole reason I'm talking about is Viktor Frankl developed the ultimate school of, uh, the, uh, of psychology and he calls his process logotherapy. And you can go and Google. This is not psychotherapy. He called it logotherapy. Because logos, ultimately, he said, is the meaning we all crave for. And here is a quote from Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. This ultimate meaning necessarily exceeds and surpasses the finite intellectual capacities of man. In logotherapy... We speak in this, in this context of a super meaning. What is demanded of man is not, as some existential philosophers teach, to endure the meaninglessness of life, but rather to bear his incapacity to grasp its unconditional meaningfulness in rational terms. Logos is deeper than logic. Now the problem with all of this, all this secular way of thinking and the worldview we are creating here is that ultimately the super meaning or logos is some kind of a force 
some kind of a superpower rather than it is a person, right? Like you, know, you must have seen the Star Wars movie, May the Force Be With You. It's a force. And that's the only way people can understand this, the super meaning as a force. But the problem with the force or the problem with the logos that way is that we can never relate to a force. You cannot enter into a relationship with the force. A force cannot give you meaning. And you, some of you know that I used to be an electrical engineer before I pursued this career in ministry. And electricity, one of my favorite things in the world, electricity can give you pleasure. It can operate machines that can give you pleasure. Electricity can give you power because electricity is power. Whoever controls electricity controls the world in some way. But electricity cannot give you meaning because electricity is a it. It is not a he or a she. Because for you to enter into a relationship with something, it has to be a he or a she. Now the beauty of Christmas is that the gospel proclaims this super meaning, this logos, this impersonal force out there, this transcendent force out there has become immanent. And that's why we call him Emmanuel. A God who is not out there, a God who is not beyond us, a God who is with us. A God who is not an it. A God who is not like a force in Star Wars, an impersonal entity that we cannot relate to, but a God who is like you and with you so that you can enter into a meaningful relationship. And that's the way and that is the only way we can find meaning for our life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to say a prayer with me. You know, we live in one of the most prosperous cities in the world. The whole world wants to come to Los Angeles, Tinsel Town, glamour, beauty, and everything we have. But I'm telling you, I've lived in four different countries in the world. I've lived, not just visited, lived with the driver's license and everything. But, yeah, which really means that I was a resident of four different countries. But I've hardly seen anywhere people who are suffering from lost meaning, like in Los Angeles. They have everything, their beauty, glamour, money, everything, fame, everything. But the existential agony they are going through, the pain they are going through, I, it breaks my heart. These are wonderful people. They are wonderful people. They are seeking the transcendent. They are looking for something that is out there, the super meaning that is out there all along. God says, no, don't look for me out there. I'm here with you. And I want to enter into a relationship with you. And only by entering a relationship with the super meaning, the logos, and you can have a meaning in your life, the ultimate meaning. And I want you to discover, don't leave this place without finding that meaning. Your life is going to be miserable. I don't want you to be that way. And I want you 
here right now to take that first step towards entering into that relationship with the ultimate logos that revealed himself in a person whom we call Jesus Christ, the way that the it became a he, the way the transcendent became the immanent, and the way a force became a person. And that is the beauty of Christmas. Shall we pray? Father, how we all carry that big, deep hole in the depth of our being. As St. Augustine said, our souls will be restless until we find rest in you, Lord. Lord, we pray that today you make yourself known to us. This Advent season, we won't celebrate the normal way. This is not about shopping. This is not about the family. But it is ultimately about entering into a meaningful relationship with you. Lord, we know that you came for the very purpose of finding us. So here we are, open, naked, because you see the way that even we ourselves cannot see us. So Lord, we surrender our life to you. Take us, mold our life, transform us from within so that we will find the ultimate meaning, the logos in our life. In Jesus' name.